I'm going to spend the next two weeks offending Christians. If you're a non-Christian, you just sit back and enjoy it. Come on, you can watch it, man. And, you, and I think, I think, if you're a non-Christian, I think you may say that's part of why you're not a Christian. It's because there's certain things that should offend Christians. There's certain things that should not offend Christians. And, and I'm willing to bet most non-Christians are looking at people who say, you're a Christ follower? If you're a Christ follower, I'm already one because we do exactly the same thing. So if anybody's here after the next two weeks when I'm trying to offend people, we're going to start a brand new series called Alter Ego. Um, I think I've got that on there, Gary. Alter Ego, becoming who God says you are, right? So, so if we make it through the offended, that's what this next two weeks is called, offended. If we make it through that, then we're going to talk about you are not your labels that people have put on you or that you've put on yourself. God has some very specific labels, and he wants you to take your labels, lay them down at the altar, and become who God wants you to be until you sacrifice who somebody said you were or who you think you are and accept who God says you are, you'll never become the person that God wants you to be. In order to get there, I need to tick you off. So we're going to try to do that. Last week, Janie and I were in uh, Colorado. We were at the Praying Pelican Conference. We're watching as, as you know, the, the band led in worship as Casey stood up and he opened the word of God and, and Casey preached to you from the word about what it means to be deceived, why there's so many deceived Christians. And, and so as, as I was watching that service and then I had the privilege of going and leading the, the praying Pelican staff in the Lord's Supper, um, and then as I had my devotional times this week, the Lord showed me a couple of things. So this is actually a speed square, but we're going to pretend for, for illustration purposes that this is a triangle. This is a what? Triangle. God showed me a couple of things that I believe he wanted me to show you today. So this triangle, if it were to sit like this, how difficult would it be to topple this triangle? I mean, you could, you could yawn, knock it over, right? You could, you could walk in your sleep, knock it over. If I put it like this, how hard is it to knock it over? A little harder, but still, I mean, it's, you know, if I put it like this, how hard is it? Okay. So God showed me the upside-down tri- triangle, and then God also showed me this. How, would, how hard would it be to knock over this bad boy? I mean, we take everybody in here. Can we knock over this, this pyramid? No, we can't not do it because it's so wide and so broad. Okay, so I want you to, to, to keep these two in mind, this triangle and this triangle, and I want to read you the, from the Word of God. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, this is one of my memory verses. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. I want you to say teaching. Rebuking, say rebuking. Correcting, say correcting. And training, say training. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you, okay, th- this, is, this is total honesty right now. How many of you, when you come to church or you go to a Bible study or you even open up the Word of God yourself on a daily basis, how many of you are thinking, I really would like to be taught by the Word of God? Let me see your hands. How many of you, when you come to church or when you go to Bible study or you open it up, you're going, man, I really hope the Word of God rebukes me today. I want to be smacked in the face by the Word of God. Let me see your hands. Not as many, right? How many of you, like, I love to be corrected. I love it when God says, get behind me, Satan. You know, I love that. Anyone? How many of you are like, man, I want to be trained in righteousness. We don't even know what 
is. Basic problem I see is when it comes to the word of God, people who call themselves Christians are like this. And if they have any contact with the word of God at all, it's like this. Ew. From that day on, half my men did the work. I don't know what that means. We come at the word of God like this. When the enemy of God comes, how hard is it for him to knock us over? Easy. You're not even a challenge. When it comes to the word of God, you're supposed to be, put that pyramid back up there. You're supposed to be like this. Now imagine this is, this is 3D. This is a pyramid. Imagine this side is my relationship with God and this side is my relationship with my family and this side is work. Imagine how you would be different, how the reflection of Christ would be different if you were, if the contact point with the word of God was your whole life. Everything resided around the word of God. The reason you're easily deceived and constantly defeated is because you're, you're just barely in contact with the word of God, if at all. If the word of God is like, if, if this is your life, the foundation, everything about you is, is based on the word of God, you will not be easily shaken. You will not be easily defeated. You will not be easily deceived. In fact, you will recognize the enemy of God the moment he attacks. And you'll put on the full armor of God. And you'll stand firm because the battle is the Lord's and not yours. See, if, you're, if your life looks like this, if you're... If you're a pyramid on the word of God, then Paul, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, half, at least half of the New Testament, says that you're mature. And when you're mature, there's, there's a result from maturity. And here it is in Ephesians chapter 4. When we're mature, then we will no longer be infants. There are too many infants in the church. And I'm not talking about new Christians. I'm talking about people who said they came to Christ 50 years ago. I was, I was six years old when I came to Christ. If at 56, I'm the same as I was when I was six years old, there's something wrong. I should no longer be an infant. If you came to Christ 10 years ago, you shouldn't be an infant. If we're mature, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Let me just pull this apart a little bit. There are too many people who claim to be Christ followers that are really infants. Waylon is four years old and he's good at it. If Waylon at Caleb's age, 26, is still acting like he was at four there should be huge warning signs going off. Warning, warning. Something's wrong. A 26-year-old a should not be in a four-year-old body and should not act like a four-year-old. There should not be so many infants in the church. I'm stunned at how many people, how many infants there are in the church. And, and let me just get real specific. I'm stunned at how many infants there are in this church. And I'm not, actually, I'm trying to make you mad. I'm not trying to be judgmental. 
I'm trying to get you to look at the word of God and say, and, and it's a mirror to see clearly what God says you are. And then, then not only are there too many infants in the church universal, we celebrate them and put them in leadership positions. We vote them as deacons. I can't tell you how many times, I don't even remember how many times Janie and I voted no because we knew a man that they were putting in, in the deacon body and we're going, dude, this spiritual's a rock. No, we did it. You know, we did, <laughs> it, was, it was an anonymous vote, but we'd have told somebody, we vote no. Why? Dude's a rock. Not in a good way. Yay. You've been here for 50 years. We're going to make you a leader in our church. And in the Old Testament, there's a time when a woman had a baby and literally the glory of God had departed from the temple. I mean, you, you can read about it descri described where the glory of the God, he, he goes from the Holy of Holies, he goes down, he goes out, and it says the glory of God departed. And when this woman gave birth to a child, she named the child Ichabod because she said the glory has departed from Israel. And when we make infants into leaders, the glory of God departs from our church, and this should not be. We need to mature. Somebody has to grow up and lead. And if we don't grow up, if we don't become spiritually mature, then we cannot obey this next scripture, which says this, Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, there should be some spiritual people in the church. Because you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you, be, you too be tempted. Okay. All of us in here are messed up to some degree. How many of you would say that's definitely true about the person sitting next to me? Right? All right, caught you off guard. Absolutely, we're messed up. Some of us here actually skipped over the messed up level. We catapulted to the whacked out level, which is just short of nut job level. We got some nut jobs in here because we go after nut jobs. We do. But you can't stay at the nut job level and be spiritual and help restore someone caught in sin. You can't stay at the whacked out level and be spiritual and restore someone who's caught in sin. You can't even stay at the messed up level. You should be moving towards healing in Christ. The closer you become to Christ, the more you reflect Christ, the more you are in a position to help someone who's a nut job. And here's the real problem. When someone has a hab habit, a habitual sin, it's actually an indication that there's hurt and pain in their life that they're covering up with a bad habit. The bad habit is screaming, I'm hurting, I have issues, I'm broadcasting it for everyone. See, what we tend to do is we focus on the bad habit. We don't ever get to the hurt, and we never get healed. The habit's just a disguise, and, and we skip over that, and we focus on the bad habit, but it doesn't matter what the habit is. It could be spending, drinking, pornography, shopping, television, lying, overeating. The habit doesn't stop screaming until you get to the root of the hurt. But even then, you need to know you do not have the power to fix yourself. You, if you had the power, you would have done it already. But you don't have the power. Here's the good news. Someone can change you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. What Jesus Christ said 
In Matthew 5, 5, his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, blessed are the, what is that word? Meek. For they will inherit the earth. Now, you have to understand, Jesus' audience was this incredibly proud people. Um, If you ever go to Israel with us, you'll see the most religious people on the face of the planet. Not not Christ-like. You'll see religious people where they wear the same outfits, they wear you know, a hat to, de- to determine. It, it actually tells you which rabbi they follow. So if the rabbi likes this big fuzzy hat with a big brim, then his followers have a big fuzzy hat with a big brim. And if he likes the, the curly, I'm not making this stuff up, he likes the curly Q um, sideburns, then he'll have curly Q, his followers will have curly Q sideburns. And they won't even talk to you because you don't dress like them, you don't look like them. You are not the chosen people of Israel. They will totally ignore you. In the name of religion. Jesus is speaking to those people who were looking for a physical deliverer to get rid of the wicked Romans. And I told you this just a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus said, happy are the meek, blessed are the meek, you can have a full life if, you, if you're meek. They didn't want weak, meekness. They wanted William Wallace. They wanted Jesus paint his face blue. Freedom! Because they knew. They knew you can't conquer anybody by being meek. They were looking for a physical revolution. Jesus came to offer a spiritual resolution. And they're like, you can't, you can't defeat people being humble. You can't conquer Rome, the greatest empire on earth, by being meek, by being humble. Jesus said, I beg to differ, and let me just ask you this. Which kingdom is still going strong, the Christian kingdom or the Roman kingdom? Because all you'll see in Israel and all you'll see relics of the kingdom of Rome. But millions and millions, maybe even billions of people today call Jesus Christ their king. Blessed are the meek. Now, I'm guessing that because they didn't have sound systems back then, so I'm guessing there was huge crowds, you know, 5,000 men. There may have been 15,000, 20,000 people sometimes when Jesus preached. And I'm guessing that people may have misunderstood because if, if I speak, you know, if I didn't have a, uh, a microphone on, then somebody at the back, I can't tell who that's at the back. Is that Charles? I, Charles might turn around and say to the people back there, and then somebody out on 155, they say, what did he say? What did he say? So when Jesus said some things, like, for instance, blessed are the peacemakers, Monty Python, don't go watch this movie. I'm not even going to tell you the name of the movie. Monty Python, actually this movie he made got banned. But in the movie, Jesus is talking to a big crowd and they misunderstand him. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And somebody at the back goes, what's so special about cheesemakers? And somebody else says, they said, um, uh, it's not to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturer of dairy products. I tell you that because they didn't understand meekness or peacemakers back then. We don't understand it either because, okay, guys, how many of you, when you played sports, let's say you played football, your coach said, I want you to get in the game and I want you to be as gentle as a dove. I want you to go after the quarterback and I want you to nurture him. (laughs) Meekness rubs us the wrong way. How many of you are meek on social media? How many of you are arrogant on social media with your opinions? I read some of the stuff on social media and I just shake my head. I just SMH. I really do. And I say, God, your people are not a very accurate representation of you. 
And I read this story years ago, and the Lord just brought this up this week. I read this story years ago about Alexander the Great. You know, he was a conqueror. He definitely was not meek. And there was a deserter who, who ran away from the front lines, and so they caught him. They brought him before Alexander the Greek, and, and Alexander, you know, he, he expected to die. And so he said, explain yourself, and, and he started talking. He said, wait a minute, what is your name? And the deserter said, my name is Alexander, and Alexander the Great said, excuse me? Tell me your name. My name is Alex. Excuse me. Tell me your name. He said, my name is Alexander. He said, then either change your actions or change your name. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christ follower, meekness is not optional. You either change your actions or quit telling people you're a Christ follower. In the original language of the Bible, the word for meekness is preus or preus. I've heard it both ways. Um, it kind of fits the stereotype of when I was growing up. So I was going to a church from the time I was born, but in the 70s, the, the stereotypical Christian was um, very um, weak, spineless, wimpy, lots of polyester, and they said, praise the Lord. That's not the meaning that Jesus had in mind. And what, what's cool about the Greek language, so the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in, in Greek, Old Testament's Hebrew and Aramaic, New Testament's in Greek. All of these words had a word picture behind them. So when Jesus used the word kreus or meekness, he had this, this wild animal in mind that needed to be broken by a trainer. Why would it need to be broken? So it can be useful. You and I have to be broken by the heavenly father. We're not useful in his kingdom. If you're full of pride, your heavenly father has an obligation to break you. And I just, for some reason, the Rocky where he's, you know, fighting the Russian, I must break you. And Rocky says, go for it. That's, sorry, that has nothing to do with anything. The reason some of you have never reached your potential in Christ is because you've never been broken. The reason some of you used to be useful in the kingdom of God, you're no longer useful in the kingdom of God is because you've not been broken. You have to be broken to be useful in the kingdom of God. So when, when Jesus used this word for meekness, he actually had this picture in mind. Is there anything in that picture that says weakness? That is a magnificent animal. It's a stallion. A stallion can run like the wind. The stallion can drag a plow that breaks ground that you couldn't do anything with. But if it's a wild stallion, it's useless. If it's broken and meek, incredibly useful. So here's the definition that Jesus used. Meek means strength under control. It's more than being just nice. It's not a lack of conviction. In fact, it is fire, courageous fire under conviction, under attack. It's, it's the conviction with a gentle spirit that comes from God's Holy Spirit. It's actually the spirit of Jesus living in you when you're meek. Now, here's what Peter said about Jesus. Jesus who suffered for you is your what? He's your what? Follow in his footsteps. Look at this. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate. Oh, man. You ever want to retaliate? Can't do it if you're following Jesus. He never retaliated when he was insulted. He suffered. He did not even, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God who always does what? 
Jesus not only said blessed are the meek, he modeled meekness for us. Why? Because meekness has always been God's pathway for humanity. Let me show you how, how I believe that, why I believe that. Moses in the Old Testament. Anybody heard of Moses? Big Mo. Wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Pretty, pretty famous guy, right? If you were to go to Israel right now, could you mention Moses and they would know who you're talking about? Can you go anywhere in the world and mention Moses and the people would know who you're talking about? Mm -hmm. He was the deliverer of the people. He was the shepherd of the people that helped lead them out of Egypt. Here's what it says in Numbers 12, 3. Now Moses was very, what is that word? The greatest leader was what? More than all people who were on the face of the earth. God used the meekest man on earth to deliver his people. And meekness is what separated Moses from everybody else on the planet. And God said, that's the heart I want. God doesn't want you weak. He wants you meek because meekness is about control. And so here's the deal. True freedom is choosing who controls you. And just a little FYI, if you control you, you're not in control. You're fooling yourself. When you choose God to be in control of your life, he sets you free. He says, happy are the meek. So as, as we go through this, let's figure out what it means to follow Jesus' example. Number one, I have to accept God's Son as my Savior. You admit that you've been messed up, that you have messed up, you're a sinner, you ask God to forgive your sins and lead your life. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I make a, st- I make a choice. I step towards Jesus and I say, I'm screwed up. And he says, thank you for agreeing with me. Confession is agreeing with God that you've messed up. I'm messed up. God says, I know it, but I love you and I'll take you in. The Bible promises this. Whoever has the Son has life. Who does not have God's Son does not have life. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that's the, so that you may know you have eternal life. It's real simple. Um, do you know how many women I'm married to? Yeah, that's not a trick question. <laughs> One. Do you know how many women I proposed to in my lifetime? Do you know how many women I took home to meet my parents in my lifetime? I said to her, will you marry me? She said, yes. It's an exclusive relationship. So on May 25th, 1995, I committed my life before God, before witnesses to Janie. I'm not kind of married. This ring is a symbol. There was a day that we committed our lives to one another. Baptism is a symbol that you have accepted Christ into your life. If you've never been baptized, you're not being obedient to God. Not saying you're a bad person, you're just not obedient. You need to get obedient. If you have the son, you have life. It's, this is a yes or no question. Do you have the son? Yes, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. You should probably take care of that today. You see, there are 7.6 billion creations of God in the world. Everyone's a creation of God, but not everybody's a child of God. That requires a choice. You have to surrender to Jesus. So, first, I have to accept. God's son is my savior. Second, I have to accept God's word as my standard, and this is where I think we fall. Bible's not some ancient history book that collects dust on your shelf, although that's what it does for many people. It's your life. These words come from God, and they show us how to live happy, fulfilled, healed lives. And here's the thing. You don't realize this. Your life will be judged by this standard when you stand before God. 
So I'm just going to read it to you again. We read this earlier. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Some of you need to be rebuked. Some of you need to be corrected. Some of you need to be trained because you are not equipped to reflect Jesus Christ. You are not equipped to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Now, you can choose to be equipped. Reality is most of us don't. Maybe the reason your life is messed up is because you're not, you're not foundationally building your life on the Word of God. In the Old Testament, God said, these words are not idle words. They are your life. He said to Joshua, <laughs> he said, be strong and very courageous. He said, be careful to obey all the law. My servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then he says, then you'll be successful. If you're not successful, you're neglecting the word of God. Third thing, accept God's will as my purpose. God didn't put you on the planet to work whatever job you're working just to work that job. Now, I'm not, we, need, we need all kinds of, of Christians in all kinds of professions. Light needs to be shining in all those professions. But if that profession is your God, it's not Christ's light you're shining. It's the light of hell. You're leading people down the wrong path. I accept God's will as my purpose. My God, I want to do what you want. Your teachings are in my heart, Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 143, 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May may your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. You're not on firm footing? You're not following Christ. Now, Christ may lead you through a valley. He may lead you over a mountain. He may lead you to a cliff, but you're on firm footing because you're in the center of his will. God, I choose to live my life on your terms. Show me what to do, God, and lead me on firm footing. You need to pray that prayer. Fourth, accept God's power as my strength. You don't have to rely on your strength anymore, and isn't that cool? Because how many problems in this world can you solve? World hunger, climate change, hot or cold, pick, you know, pick, because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was cold, and we're going to freeze to death, and now, anyway. I can do everything God asked me with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. Choosing these four things, God's Son is your Savior, God's Word is your standard, God's will is your purpose, God's power is your strength. Choosing this, this path, separates those who get healed from their hurts, habits, and hang-ups and those who do not. It separates those who become more like Christ, who become spiritual and then can restore those who are caught in any transgression But you need to know this. You're going to have to recommit to it every day. So i got a couple pictures here. 30 years ago, May 25th, coming up. Who's that dude with hair? (laughs) Looking at that pretty girl that I still like to look at. Here's the next one. 30 years ago, May 25th, 1991, I stood before God and I stood before witnesses. There were people from, I'd just moved churches. So I'd moved from Austin to Arlington and we were at my brother's church in Colleyville. So we had Colleyville people, we had Arlington people, we had Austin people that churches where I'd been ministered, they all came to, to celebrate with me and Janie. 
and I made a commitment that day that I would, I would live with Janie and only Janie for the rest of my life. Now, my brother, one of my brothers was the, was the officiant, was the minister, and so imagine if my brother gets to the part where he says, will you, Doug, will you keep these promises as long as you and Janie are alive? And I, imagine if I'd said, now, hold on. As long as I'm alive? That's a long time. Is there any wiggle room there? Could I, could I have one night a week to hang with the guys? What do you think Janie's going to say? Not at this point. Now, after she's lived with me for years, please, go, go. <laughs> but not at this point, right? Not when we're all stars and hearts, and right? No. What if I'd said, what if I'd said, how about... One day a week I commit to you, and the rest of the time I commit to me. If she's smart, she'd say, dude, get over yourself, see ya, bye. Right? She runs out, hops in the car, her mom takes her back to Meridian, Texas. What if I said, I'll give you one hour a week if it's convenient for the rest of my life? What the, what the average Christian does for the kingdom of God. If it's convenient, I'll show up on a Sunday. If it's convenient, I don't know if I want to serve in the back because I might miss the meal. My sermons are meals. Casey's sermons are meals. but you're going to grow more like Christ serving back there than you are in here eating the meal. I won't speak for Casey, but my meals aren't that good. You want to be like Jesus? Sweep the floor. You want to be like Jesus? Put a towel around and do a servant's job. When I proposed to Janie and when I stood before witnesses, it was all or nothing. She knew it. I knew it. And it's the same with God. Now, you only need to commit to God one time. You only need to be adopted into his family one time, but you need to make a recommitment every day. The reason Janie and I have made it 30 years is because we recommit to each other regularly. The reason people divorce is one or both of them quit committing. Oh, yeah, I said it. I promised on my wedding day. Isn't that enough? Oh, my young Padawan learner, you are a complete idiot. I've had, I've had men say, I told her I loved her on the day, the day we got married, and if anything changed, I'd tell her. I thought, I should just slap you in the name of Jesus. Come out! Because that's straight from the pit of hell. Some of you want to pick and choose what you what you accept from God. You know, I'll accept him as my Savior, but don't expect me to accept God's word or God's will or God's power. I just want fire insurance for 200, please. Doesn't work that way. Have, have y'all ever seen, go ahead and put that, did I, yeah. Y'all know who, what this is? It's an Eagle Scout. And I want you to notice how many badges he had to get to, to become an Eagle Scout. There's 45. 
You OCD people, you can count later. I'm not going to leave it up there long enough for you to count. Three rows, 15, 45. Here's the point. He had to do all of those things in order to become an Eagle Scout. Now, some of you, some of you have a Jesus badge. And everybody likes the Jesus badge. But it's no more important than any of the other 44 badges you have in your life. And the reason you're, you're failing as a child of God is because Jesus is no more important than any of the other 44. He is not one of many badges. He's the only badge. Now, I have other badges, right? I'm a dad, right, Caleb and Hannah and Rachel? Maybe Hannah's watching. Rachel and Caleb, I'm a dad, yeah, right? But I'm a child of God first. And my fathering my children should be a reflection of what Jesus Christ does for me. I've got a friendship badge but I don't tell my friends I'm a Christian. What do you do for a living? I talk a lot. (laughs) I'm a professional talker. Where? At the old skating rink. (laughs) What do you do at parties? I pray because I'm a professional prayer. That's what happens, right? I mean, if you're you're a preacher, you pray. Hey, uh, preacher, why don't you pray? Yeah, because I've never done that before. (laughs) Jesus is not an extra. My friendship, my friends should know that I'm a Christ follower. I have possessions, you know, I've got a house, I've got cars, I've got a little flat bottom boat. Woo! Look at me. I'm a hero. Who cares? I'm going to leave those to somebody else. Because of Jesus, I see that, that this stuff is temporary. So Jesus is not a bonus. He's not an extra. He's everything or he's nothing. He doesn't save you unless you bow and say he's your Lord. Lord first, then Savior. See, the Baptists, we tend to say, oh, just get saved and then live like hell and we'll see you in heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. You bow to the Father You say, I've messed up. Would you adopt me? When he adopts you, he saves you. So here's some questions as as we're heading into this two-week series of being offended. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and proved he was God's son by coming back to life? That's a yes or no question. Do you accept God's free forgiveness for your sins? Are you ready for Christ to be the leader of your life? Now, let's make this really personal. If you have a listening guide, and by the way, start getting your listening guide. You know why we do listening guides? It's not because I just don't have anything else to do. I finished my sermon. Oh, I think I need more work to do this week. Let's have fill in the blanks. It's because some people learn better by writing. And, and statistics indicate that by, by Wednesday of this week, you will have forgotten 90 to 95% of what I've told you. That makes a preacher want to pull his eyes out. Right? God, you, you want me to do what? Talk and people forget? So we, we start getting the listening guide. I'll get off of that. But here's what I want you to think about. If you've never before asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, 
I want you to write this down somewhere. If you need to put it on the notes in your phone, I want you to write, I do. You may never have before, but today, I do. Some of you, if you're real honest today, you'd say, I have not been living for Christ. I have not been a reflection of Christ. If people were to watch my actions outside these walls, they would never know I'm a Christ follower and I need to come back. So my question to you is will you come back? And, and if you are ready to do that, I want you to write down or put it in your notes, I do. And I want you to recommit to that over and over and over for the rest of your life. Jesus needs to be the foundation. His word needs to be the foundation if you're going to leave a lasting legacy. Let's pray together. Father, I, I know you shake your head a lot at us because you've given us all the instructions we need in your word and we ignore it. And then we whine and complain, oh God, why is this happening to me? It's because we skipped page four or page 500. We skip the New Testament and we get mad at you and we shake our fist at you. How dare you, God? Prepare our hearts, Lord, to be a people that when you call us, we go anywhere, whether it's Louisiana or Haiti or Belize or Israel. When you call, we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord, before you call. You say we're supposed to go out to Elkhart and pass out food. We go to Elkhart and pass out food. If we're supposed to go to a mobile home park and clean yards, we go to a mobile home park and clean yards because you said so. And it's not a waste of our time. It's not a waste of our energy if you've called us. If you call us to give a cup of cold water to someone in Lake Charles, Charles Louisiana in July, we, go, we rush to do it because you told us to do it. God, raise up a generation that seeks your face. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.